Hey everyone, I'm Jose Hernandez and welcome to Behind the Backing Track for Outside and Music. Outside and Music is a media company and record label that connects jazz artists with their passionate fan bases. Please visit us at our website at outsideofmusic.com, where you can see our artists and their recent releases, our podcasts, video interviews, and links to get in touch with us. Behind the Backing Track is a monthly podcast produced alongside Over Here by Big Boss Nick Finzer and Extended Harmony with music journalist Dan Gross. Covering music from TV, film, and video games, this podcast digs deeper into the inner workings of the composers, arrangers, editors, and engineers of the commercial music realm. So today I'm here with uh, Carlos, also known as Insane in the Rain. Uh, so, uh, Carlos, how are you doing tonight? I'm pretty great. Thanks for having me. So, really quickly, just, uh, I guess, gloss over uh, what you do and uh, kind of, yeah, just what what, what your occupation is. So <laughs> I don't know if you call it an occupation, <laughs> but uh, my, I don't know, the thing I spend most of my time doing um, is I create video. I create, sorry, I create jazz arrangements of video game music, and I post them on my YouTube channel. Um, there's a wide variety of games on there, and I'll I'll take some of your favorite songs or some of my favorite songs and arrange them in the style of you know famous jazz musicians. Or um, if you know if Snarky Puppy played this video game song, what would it sound like? That's my job, and I <laughs> I take great pride in uh in making jazz accessible to people by provi- like by presenting it in a medium that they're already familiar with and also just making great music for people to listen to you know while they're studying when they're commuting you know anything like that yeah dude that's awesome so obviously where where does where did th- where did this start where did uh teenage carlos get his uh, kind of spark from so <laughs> i started off on the youtube journey um before i even had this channel there's another channel that i used to have where I did um, Blender 3D animation tutorials, and mm. I don't I don't know how I thought I knew enough about Blender to like <laughs> to give a tutorial on it because I was like such a noob. I I was helping my tutorials were geared around like Minecraft animations of like downloading your Minecraft world and putting it inside Blender and animating your characters, which is it's kind of cool, but it's um, a little strange. Mm. Um, following that amazing period of my life um around the time i got into high school i i started playing jazz and jazz bands i've been doing that in middle school but i really got into it in high school and um i i just i had seen some of my some friends or now friends but then people i looked up to on the internet um just posting videos of themselves playing video game songs along with some backing track and i thought huh that would be really fun to do and I, i bet i could do pretty good versions of those so i started out with the cover of Angry Aztec from Donkey Kong 64, and um, from then on, the rest is public on YouTube. <laughs> hmm. That's really cool. So, just gonna jump into the nitty gritty. So, what what do you look for in a piece of music when you play the video game? As as like this is what I'm gonna pick to like work on to arrange something. Hmm. I'm not sure that there's like one definitive quality that really defines a song that I would pick. Um, Obviously, I mean, there are certainly songs that I don't really have any interest in doing. Um, I think songs that aren't originally, like, in a jazz style 
to start off with are the most interesting ones. Um, I've gotten a few comments telling me to arrange Cuphead music, and I'm sort of confused by that because, like, do you want me to play the exact same thing that's on the recording? You know, like, it's it's already jazz in that way, and I, I totally respect, you know, Christopher Madigan, and I think the music is amazing, and it's very well done, but I don't see myself adding that much to it. So, as I said, it's hard to define a specific characteristic. Um, I do tend to like songs that have great melodies and, like, advanced harmony, or songs that, like, would lend themselves well to reharmonization, things like that. Yeah, so I was I was just going to get into your reharmonization stuff, because there... Especially recently, there have been a couple of videos. Uh, let me look this up as I'm saying this. But what are your thoughts on reharmonization and how do you approach it, voicing inversion and all those other uh, things, all, all these other things that go into it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm I'm currently a student a student at the Berkeley College of Music, and I just took a course on reharmonization from one of my favorite teachers there, and I learned so much from that class on. In how reharmonization er, is not just what chord would work with this melody note. Um, it's a lot of basically the goal with reharmonization, I think, should be to not, first off, never detract from the original melody. Like the original melody is the most important thing. It's like in, in counterpoint terms, it's the canis firmus. Um, so we, we don't mess with that. And in reharmonization, all we do is just create a more interesting harmonic pathway to the goals that are already in the song. Um, for example, most most less songs will go, you know, tonic, subdominant, dominant in some way. And then your whole, the whole goal of a reharmonization is to keep that general framework, but just elaborate on the ways you get there. And that's a very, that's a very, very theory heavy answer. <laughs> I understand that. Um, but essentially, like, don't mess with the original song. That's the most important thing. Like, never detract from it or never do anything that's so stupid that people can't tell it's the original song anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, I, 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 I can see that. Um, Were there any particular videos? Y- you mentioned the particular videos. Uh, yeah, so, it, for example, uh, the Me Channel theme, uh, I know Route 116 from Diamond and Pearl, there was a thing there or two, uh, if I remember correctly. And I don't think that particular one had a ton of it, but I know that that one just had some really cool changes in it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and me channel, I me channel, I used the Spain changes because it worked. <laughs> yeah, I, I noticed that, and I was just like, uh, okay, I could I can hang with this. And then you just went full on, just without without like it sounding like in a cheesy nonsense way, but it went full uh, mall jazz, which I I definitely enjoyed the the difference in it. Yeah, I know that sounds like a. <laughs> I know what you, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, and I understand what you're trying to say, but that's just a funny way of saying it. <laughs> yeah, I, I there's not really a, a good way for me to say it without like getting super technical. So, would you mind explaining to me the process of how uh, at least the writing goes down? So, like my arranging process. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that usually starts with. Um, First, with a transcription of the song, I do a transcription of the original song in like like a really like 20 minutes or so, just to make sure I have the original melody, original harmony, and any other parts that stick out of the song that I think are particularly important to keep. Because I think it's I've in the past I've like completely forgotten sections of songs just because I thought I knew them, but I didn't really know them. <laughs> so doing trans, yeah, it's happened before. I can't name any specific videos, but um, doing transcriptions is 
for me, it's really important to be able to get the original song under my fingers as is. Um, from that point onwards, usually it involves um, me listening to some other music and then coming across another song that said, huh, I like the style that this song is in. I wonder how this video game song was sounding the style of this jazz song. And then then I'll take that video game song and um, go into MuseScore and then start arranging. I've been using MuseScore for the past about seven years, and I just this week made the switch to Sibelius, and I have to say that Sibelius is better than MuseScore <laughs> by a <laughs> long shot. Oh, man. I, I was I was waiting for you to say Finale, and then you said Sibelius. No, so no, no, no. I See, the, the thing – here's the thing. <laughs> Sibelius is like if Microsoft Office made a notation software, and I, I like that. I like the ribbon. I like how organized everything is. Um, finale, to me, feels like Photoshop before they figured out how to put all the little windows into, like, one window and it had, like, a bunch of floating windows. I just can't stand Finale. Like, I'm sure I, – I, I get that some people enjoy it and some people use it, but I am not one of those people. I feel that. Um, I'm assuming you would – you're a Mac user then on mm – -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, because on Windows, Finale is just neatly – shaped together and there there aren't any like floating things around so it definitely oh, okay i didn't i didn't know that at, at my school we are um we are given finale or mm. it's part of the the software package we purchase but everybody also has to use a mac computer because we use things like logic and GarageBand there yeah um, yeah so that would explain it I'm, i apologize <laughs> no 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 definitely no hard feelings um so once you finish transcribing the song and once you define the style that you want to uh, kind of genre bend it with what comes first or what gets recorded first? So I'm currently in a transitional period with all this stuff, but um, for the past few years of the channel, once the arrangement is done, um, then I'll write a MIDI drum part. Um, up until now, I've been using Superior Drummer and writing MIDI drums by just pointing and clicking and uh, running it in my DAW of choice, which is Reaper. Um, but I just recently got electronic drum kit and i i do know how to play drums to some extent and um i'm currently figuring out a workflow that should incorporate like actual performed drums in my songs which i think is the next step um but in the past it's generally record the drums record some sort of piano or bass part doesn't necessarily need to be the final but it's just something there so when i'm playing sax parts there's a harmonic um a harmonic underpinning or something for me to hear um, then I'll record sax, and then probably after that I'll go back and re-record those piano and bass parts and then anything else. So how, how, how do you deal with the madness that was integrating video into the audio recording process? Well, I, uh, a lot of people in the, the video game music arrangement, arranging community um, tend to record audio separately from video, and I, mm -hmm. there's totally good reasons to do that. I, for one, um, think, well, especially from the background as being a jazz musician where you're playing live a lot and you sight read a lot of stuff, um, I just almost always sight read everything on camera. Um, and I rare, and I mess up maybe, you know, once or twice in a part. But um, over the years, it's been a really good exercise to improve my skills as a sight reader. And um, it just saves me time in the long run because I'd rather just get audio and the video done all at once it just makes the for me it, I've, that's how i've always done it um there are a few times where i haven't just because parts were really 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 hard um but for the most part 
it's not too bad at the same time. I feel that. Um, and so when you what as you're saying, going uh, into sight reading, your your practice blocks, right? We all have them. Um, so what do you do in your in your practice sessions to ensure that you have the best possible uh, sound for like you know when you actually get on camera? Yeah. Um, so I think the practice sessions. I mean, over the years, I've definitely spent a long time, a lot of time on long tones. That's like the most important thing to building up your tone. Um, I don't have really, don't really have a set practice routine. I kind of go back and forth between a lot of things. Um, lately, I've been learning a lot of jazz standards just by by ear, listening to the original recordings and then figuring out the changes. Um, that's been really beneficial to me. Um, in terms of getting the best tone possible for a recording. I think the warm-up procedure for before, before recording often gets a little overlooked, but it's extremely important. Um, I tend to warm up by just, like, picking a standard that I know and just playing a few courses over that, and then usually by the time I'm done with that, my, my, my chops are warming up a little bit. Um, sometimes <laughs> I'll do long tones as well or some scale exercises, but other than that, as long as the horn is warm, I, I'll feel pretty good. Are you, a, are you a horn player yourself? Yeah, I play trumpet. So oh, I would, okay. obviously like the it's it's a bit more intense for me. I kind of have to spend a yeah good, like forty or so minutes just making sure my face is, feels okay for the day, and then if it's all right, then I'm like, then we we can go. But if not, I have yeah, to spend. Yeah, that's that's. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure there are like faster ways to warm up, but that you certainly have a different set of challenges to overcome than a saxophone player does. Yeah, um, it's mostly just with like uh, a lot of like inner muscle stuff just sometimes mm. doesn't work for whatever reason you're not mm. woken you're not like fully woken up for the day uh mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so earlier uh you mentioned talking about uh making jazz more accessible and really uh putting both worlds in the same hub do you see that as a education thing or do you see that as a just like hey this is cool and i wanted to share it with you guys kind of thing both i would say um I don't think I'm – I don't really market myself as a jazz teacher or anything like that. Um, but I I think jazz is my, – my, it's certainly my favorite genre of music, and I think it's massively underappreciated by the general population for, for reasons that are totally understandable. It's not as, you know, you don't really bump jazz at the club to get turnt with your friends. You know, <laughs> I mean, unless your name that, is James Landina, right? Yeah, okay. Unless, <laughs> unless you're – something like that. Um but I think I, I just find so much joy in introducing people to, to jazz. I get a lot of comments on videos saying that, you know, I was never really a jazz fan before, but after hearing your music, I think I've become sort of a fan of it, um, which is – and I I think that's just so cool. Um, I'm, that's not the primary goal of my videos. It's not necessarily to make, you know, converts to the, the, the jazz genre, but it's a side effect, and I certainly appreciate that people do that. Hmm. Yeah, and so I guess where do you see yourself do you, do you ever see yourself taking that um side effect and making it like your like primary goal at at all in the future? Do you see yourself like, you know, 10, 15 years down the line like applying for university jobs just like every other doctoral graduate or do you not see yourself in that line of work at all? Well, I I would like to do that actually. I would like to teach at the college level someday. Um, but as for the channel, I don't think, I mean, the goal has always been to make great music that people are interested in listening to. And I think that will always be the goal. Um, Hmm. 
the side effect of people getting into jazz. I think if I really tried to do that, I don't think the that the return on my efforts trying to make that happen would be worth the reward. Um, the The main thing that keeps the channel going, I think, is my is my personal enjoyment out of this, and that I really really like just hearing the final product and changing these songs into a form that I would like to listen to myself. You know. Um, so no, I don't really think it would be the primary goal, but university teaching is not out of the question. And in fact, I would like to do it someday. Speaking of which, lately uh, you've been kind of doing lo-fi hip-hop stuff. Yep. <laughs> so is is that kind of just like a a shift in like paradigm, kind of like what you're what you've been listening to at least? Well, there's this particular artist. His name is Blazo or Blazo. I'm not sure. He has these these two albums called Colors of Jazz and Colors of Jazz Volume Two. Um, and I don't remember when I first discovered them, but I found it fascinating that he was sampling from old jazz records and like keeping a lot of the samples intact, but just like layering like a beat or some pads on top of it. And I thought, huh, I could probably do that myself. And I think it would be just an interesting thing to try out. You know. And my, my initial foray into that world was a collaboration with DJ Cutman, and I've been wanting to work with him for a while. And we did Rosalina's Common Observatory in a lo-fi style, which was met with mixed reviews from some people, but it's the internet. Um, yeah. <laughs> as, as is bound to happen. And then I tried it again, and uh, I think it's a pretty cool – It's not some, I'm not like trying to change my channel to go that way at all, but um, mm. it's not too far away from jazz to where I feel like – you know, I, I'm still personally interested in it, and um, I think it would be cool to make a lo-fi hip-hop, like, EP by, by me someday. You know, just a, a thing that's totally not necessarily not jazz, but it's not my usual stuff. So, we're both music students, um, and a lot of people on the internet aren't. And so, how how has your, I guess, like, studies at Berkeley changed your perspective on the way you do things and how has it um uh, yeah just just that how, how how has it like so how is how is being berkeley at being like going to school at berkeley changed my music well um the biggest thing was that i learned how to like formally analyze music or like analyze harmonic progressions the berkeley way with like Roman, num Roman numeral analysis and out like substitute dominance, you know, pretty secondary dominance, pretty standard stuff like that. Um, I had known of them before, but didn't really have any like a I know what this is called kind of thing. Like I would see a seven in a song and be like, I know that goes to D minor, but I don't know what it's called. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that's one of the biggest things. Um, it's I mean, I've certainly improved a lot in my arrangements. Um, just because I, I know I have names for all these techniques that I've been hearing. And I think um, going to music school has really helped me analyze the stuff that I, like, when I hear something that I like, it has helped me tremendously in figuring out, okay, what exactly is that and how can I steal it and put it in my own music? Because I think, I think that's just, that's how artists have grown over the past, you know, hundreds of years is listening or not necessarily listening, but seeing others that they, enjoy or drawing inspiration from somewhere then stealing some element of it and then assimilating it into your own music and um it's much easier when you ha when you know what the names of these things are and you don't just have to invent some strange term for it um so i think that's the biggest outcome of studying at berkeley for me hmm. 
Yeah. As soon as you said about like stealing just small element elements from things, I was just like, that's a hundred percent. Yes. That's what I do all the time. <laughs> yeah. I, it, it, it just happens, you know, like listening to a bunch of different things. You're just like, wow, I want this thing from that. And then I want the harmonic progression from that. And I want the instrumentation from this other song. And then, like, eventually it just turns into one giant massive, like, action. Yeah, like, and, then, and then it becomes your own. And that's part yeah. of the beauty of it because, you know, you're never going to be able to copy it perfectly. And, um, and then that, that, that distance between what your, co- your version and the original that you're trying to copy is where, like, your own personal, the own, your own personal way that you do things comes into play, which I think is awesome. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I know a lot of the games and the music that you cover is of stuff that you just enjoy, that you uh, play. Uh, has there ever, like, I know there also have been a couple of uh, EP releases that were, like, just music from just this game, and it, like, was a solid, like, two months of just that game. Um, <laughs> uh, I guess the, the thing to say is... Uh, how do you go about setting those blocks of of uh, time? Is it just like, and does your, I at one point I do remember that your audience did influence your decisions on like what you wanted to like uh, arrange and stuff like that. And I guess at at this point that that may or may not be a factor anymore. Hmm. Okay. Well, I I know what you're getting at. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so in, in in reference, so the funny thing is that there is that that one video where I asked people to like. Put your song suggestions in the comments, and then I'll do the one that has the most thumbs up. I almost never do that, but I just kind of figured it, that I don't know why I did it. It was on a whim, and the winner of that was the Me Channel, and that video now has over a million views, which is like <laughs> absurd. Um, so I'm I'm very thankful that happened. Um, there's the uh, in regards to song choice. Um, it's always been a balance between what I want to do and what the audience wants. Um, there have been periods in my channel where I think I've gone too far towards what the audience wants, and it's resulted in me be feeling, you know, burnt out a little bit. Mm. Um, so I've been more cautious about picking songs that are appropriate for, you know, what games are currently being released, what's currently going on the internet, as well as just, you know, video game standards that people just know you know there are quite a few tunes that are just like commonplace in the video game world um just like jazz standards you know like even like dragon roost island is like all the things you are you know yeah there's a there's interesting parallels like that and that's part of what i think makes video game jazz work is that they're that people just know these songs already and that allows me to arrange them in different ways um one last thing on the uh you were talking about so when I, when I did a load of that jazz back in February of this year, um, uh, I released, like, two months straight of, like, Pokemon Sun and Moon videos. I will never do that again. Um, <laughs> because I think as of – I thought about that, and as of – I ran, like, a feedback poll on Facebook a couple months later, and then one of the things that people said was, don't do that again, or I don't like it when you upload a bunch of covers from a thing I don't know, which I totally understand, Right. Like, mm-hmm. I, I should, you know, vary things up a little bit. And um, I'm making some changes in the way that I record things to uh, better facilitate that. Um, for example, in the past, 
you know, five years. I've always done one video at a time. Today I recorded saxophone for four videos all at the same time, and it was like a four-hour recording session, but it was great. And so now I don't have to record saxophone until February. Dude, that's is, awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just a it's just a different way of doing things, and I think it might. I'm interested to see how it you know changes my my workload and how it um, impacts other people. Yeah. Um, so as you were talking about, you know, just changing the way your schedule works, I guess, uh, <laughs> talking about the way it is currently might not be the best way, but, um, it doesn't hurt to ask, right? <laughs> I was doing, um, every other week for the past, you know, I don't know, maybe two or three years, um, and then around August of this year, I dialed it back to once every two weeks. Um, and honestly, I think that was for definitely for the better, definitely for the better for myself. And um, a lot of viewers think that my content has improved quite a bit, um, probably because I have more time to make each video. Um, but right now I'm challenging those ideas by saying, all right, what, what can I do to keep that quality up? But in, but you know, eventually go back to making videos every week. And what I alluded to is I've been thinking about batch recording or like doing writing four arrangements, then recording all of them and then editing them together. So I do an entire month's worth of recording in like a week. It is not Oof. for the faint of heart. <laughs> like the only and I would not recommend it to anybody because let me tell you that saxophone recording session I did today was brutal. I read through like. I had four songs, and each of them had five saxophone parts. So I read through like twenty parts today. <laughs> uh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Even like with a mouth guard, that's gonna that's gotta hurt. Well, I'm just glad I don't play brass. That's all I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I probably couldn't couldn't get through like half of that before mm. starting to tar starting to feel it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the the benefit of the tenor saxophone. Yeah, it's it's the the medium you work in. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So collaborations there it is ah. ah that's what i was gonna get to good talk so when you did your first collaboration how did it happen and then how did you try to subsequently go on to these uh these further collaborations uh with a with a mindset that worked if that makes so any sense that, that yeah. was really weird question phrasing i I, I i know i know what you're talking about just collaborations uh, yeah <laughs> my first ever collaboration was like I think it was January of 2013 with um, my friend Ro Panuganti. At that time, his name was Swiggles1987, and we did an arrangement of the Kakariko Village theme in sort of like a 6-8 um, dance kind of feel. Um, that, was, that was around the time that I was beginning to meet some of the other people in the video game music community. Um, one of the best things about the video game music community is that everybody is so nice and accepting of each other. It is one of the best communities I've ever worked with on anything. Like, there are virtually no toxic people, nobody that you try and avoid. You know, it's just so wonderful that there are so many people committed to a um, objective like that. And I think because everybody is so nice, it makes collaborations really easy. Um, is that you don't have to jump through a lot of hoops to collaborate with anybody. You know, you just present them with a good idea, and then you talk about it, and then you organize it. Um, for promotional reasons, it's great because, especially if you collaborate someone with a large with a large audience, you know you're cross promoting your audiences, which is always good. Um, but that's never been the principal reason behind a collaboration. It's just about um, 
usually it's like, I think this song could use some of this, and I have a friend that plays this particular instrument, so I'll ask them to play on my song, and then it's a collaboration. Well, yeah, that, that's that's about as easy as it gets. Um, I probably know more, like, if you, I don't know if you listen to other people on YouTube as well, but um, hmm. I, I probably know most of them. It, it's because our community is so tight, and we all like each other. Yeah, and so when, when you say community, uh... Or not not when you say community, when you say the the video game uh, cover community, there's there's really it's a a lot of people, right? There, it's not just like a dozen, two dozen. There's just a horde of them, which is a good thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, you, I remember the days where it used to be like a dozen. I wasn't one of the first people who started off, but um, there was certainly like a group of like family jewels. 7X and um, David Ramos were like the first people who uploaded video game covers, and then there are some people who did it with them. And it's interesting, like looking back at the history of it and how some people have, you know, drifted away over time and come back for a little bit. And, and um, it's a good, it's a great group of people to be associated with. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so, uh, with any arrangement of all this stuff and the commercial commercialization of it comes licensing yes correct and i guess the question cuz i'm also <laughs> interested in it so this is a bit selfish of me but how how do you get these licenses so quickly yeah um so i use a distributor called distrokid um if you go to districtkid.com slash VIP slash VIP, sorry, districtkid.com slash VIP slash insane, that's my, um, I'm sponsored by them. You'll get a referral code to their service for 7% off. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I have to say that. Um, but the reason I use Districtkid is because they ha- they acquire cover song licenses for you. Um, there's a provision in some part of the copyright law in the United States that states that if, um, a song has been commercially released in the United States, um, then anybody can arrange it and upload their version or, or like put their own version on iTunes and Spotify, provided mm-hmm. that a um, it's called a comp- I think it's the mechanical rate of nine point one cents per nine point one cents per download. I'm not sure what it is per stream, um, but that needs to be sent back to the original composer, and yeah, that would be a nightmare to take care of. Like if I had to do that myself, but DistroKid. Um, takes care of all that for me, and I, I I pay a fee whenever I upload a song, and um, that fee is made up by the people who listen to it and purchase my music, um, but they allow me to put stuff on iTunes, Spotify, usually within a day or two. Their service is incredibly fast, and that's one of the main reasons I use them, especially for when um, when I like finish or in the past when I've like finished the audio for a song the day before the video goes live, I need to like get those links real fast. So <laughs> district kid <laughs> is the way to go. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um and so distributing to all of those uh streaming services, just, does that just happen automatically once you upload all, all yeah, the Yeah, district district kid does okay. I mean not besides YouTube, uh, YouTube I upload the video, but oh, distro, of course. District, kid does, <laughs> district kid does everything else basically. Ah, huh, that's cool. Another another good one to check out is Sound Drop. If you're just getting started and you don't have the pay those fees of upkeep, 
Um, Soundrop is a bit slower in the distribution just because their system is different. Um, but they sound, but DistroKid and Soundrop actually use the same service to get licenses. So your music is just as protected. It's just a it's slightly different pay structure, and um, but it's still a great service. Yeah, and that's uh, somewhat related to the Harry Fox agency, I'm assuming. Yeah, there's something something to do with that. It's interesting because like, there's not really one for like video game music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that would be cool as heck if there was. I'd be all over that. Um, but there isn't, as far as I know. Hmm. Well, um, thank you uh, for coming on. And you're welcome. Let's go to my YouTube channel and watch a video or two. That's all I can ask. <laughs> Hey everyone, Happy New Year's. It's 2018 now, so that's pretty cool. If you missed any of the past episodes with Simon Dalzell, Sam Gossner, Christopher Madigan, links are down below. Otherwise, I'm really excited for this year. I've got a couple more guests lined up in the arranging world, in addition to some film scores and video game composers. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next month.